and we're back at it again, ladies and gentlemen. Like two old men wandering around in the dark at Splendor. We're whispering in the night about all things footy between two tents over the internet after day two of the Festival of Footy has come to a close. And it's been an interesting two days. And by interesting, I mean there's been a lot of blowout crappy games. But that's okay. Footy is footy. And that's what we need in this time of COVID. And with me to break down all the action and preview the second half of round nine on this Friday night under the lights. It's big bustling Baz. How you doing, mate? Good, mate. It's funny you mentioned Splendor. I probably look like I've been on a, a three-day bender, but I'm actually feeling fresh as a daisy. But uh, ISO life, hoodie on, bit of a bit of beard growing. And uh, not that I grow much hair on my head, but that's a bit getting a bit long as well. But now I'm feeling fresh, feeling good. Had a couple of days of footy in a row, which is good as well. We'll get straight into it. Slightly different format again this week. And uh, we're going to just do a nice little recap of the first half of the round, preview the second half, and give our bets along the way. So segment one is what just happened, the big wins and bad beats of round 9A. And uh, the theme of these four matches is did we learn anything about these teams? So the first game was Richmond 13-12-90 defeated Western Bulldogs 7-7-49. Did we learn anything, Baz? Is it just the same old doggies that can't beat a decent side or are Richmond really back? Uh, Richmond are playing pretty good footy and they got – they're getting some players back from injury as well. And we've always known that uh, the doggies struggle inside when they go inside 50 and they're struggling to put a score on the board and they, they play that open style of footy and Richmond were able to cut them open and, and really had a lot of success going forward, especially in that first half. So uh, it's kind of got a bit scrappy in the second half and the, the doggies probably got the game a bit more on the way they wanted to play, but um Definitely Richmond went in with a different game style as well. They try to possess the footy a bit more and not make it as, uh, I suppose, dynamic and fast pace as probably what the Doggies wanted. And it really worked for them. And, yeah, they, they smashed Doggies everywhere, especially that first half. And then that third quarter, they, they, they pretty much dominated as well. It probably didn't put on the scoreboard as much as they should have. And then, yeah, it's a pretty even second half, I thought. Like, Richmond probably still in front for the second half when you look at the KPIs, but... That first half was a, a bit of a bashing, especially around the stoppages. And, and as I said, going inside fifty, they were, they were a much better team. So, and that's what we that's what we knew was going to happen when we talked about the game. We said that doggies would go under sixty points, and Richmond would be too good and too strong up forward. And yeah, it pretty much went to as planned as we thought it would. So we talked about all season so far that the kind of chaos or the direct footy is kind of the footy that's winning games and teams like. Collingwood or GDOS who play this slow, considered football are going to get left behind a little bit. But Richmond took made a considered effort to take 36 marks, which is half of their marks on average inside that first quarter, as you said. Does Richmond need to slow it down to be successful, or is that just a game style that works against the Doggies? I think it's a game style that works against the Doggies, and we spoke about it before the game as well. That the teams look to do that against Richmond a bit because it, it slows them down. It stops the, the game from moving. It takes out... They're, what Rich want to do is they just want to outnumber you at the source and then surge the ball forward and then put lots of forward pressure on. I think if you control the footy, you stop them from doing that. And the doggies do something sort of similar, but they're probably a bit more dynamic with their, their kick-to-hand ball ratio. So they look this short kick and release a runner and, and just surge the ball forward a bit more. But, um, yeah, I think if you look at what happened tonight, for instance, where Essendon tried to slow the game down and they went in a totally different style to what they've been playing to try and, I don't know, they didn't want to get in a shit out of Brisbane, obviously, but it, and it didn't work for them because they don't have the skill or the talent to do that. And then 
you know, you look at Melbourne as well yesterday. They, they, they went the opposite way of trying to play quickly and, and move the ball quicker. They went probably too quickly and weren't clean enough and skillful enough to do it as well. So you got to find that happy medium, I think. you got to find that. Richmond found that happy medium pretty well in the first half that, that didn't allow the doggies to set up behind the ball because English does do a bit like Gorn. He sits a kick behind the footy and tries to stop that you know, intercept mark along down the line. So mm-hmm. it worked for him. And, uh, yeah, the doggies have got a, a bit of work to do before they play Port Adelaide again this week. So Yeah, a lot of work to do, especially because, as we said, probably Port Adelaide are much uh, more informed side than Richmond at the moment. And I suppose that we've been talking about the last couple of seasons that to be successful come finals, you need to have gears and you need to have different weapons. And I think a win like that against the doggies proves to Richmond that they have – some gears now. They have that fast tempo. They have that slower tempo. They have multiple weapons. They can do it without players like they have done in previous years. There's a fair few uh, listeners coming back through the feedback loops here, Baz, that want want you to erase that line you put through Richmond. So when will you do it? What do you have to do to be impressed enough by Richmond to make them a a contender? Or are they already in that top five group again? Uh, I think they're a final side and they're probably going to finish top six. Don't get me wrong. But I I don't think they've got players that are hungry enough and that are in form enough at the moment to be a, a big chance going forward. And they play Brisbane this weekend and they've got a big uh, hoodoo against Brisbane. So they don't think Brisbane have beaten them for the last 13 games or something stupid. And they've got a good record at, at the Gabba or wherever it is they're playing. Um, I can't remember where they're playing, but they've got a good record against Brisbane and they play Port Adelaide. So the next two weeks for me, we'll see where Richmond's really at. Um, and I think unless they make a prelim final, I'm still pretty confident that uh, they're just a rung below the top three or four tonight, uh, teams this year, I think. I, uh, we still haven't seen much from Jack Rewalt, and I think, you know, Hub Life probably take, is taking its toll on players like him, and it, it's affecting a lot of players, really, and I, I don't blame them, and I don't, like, I'm not having a go at them or anything like that, but, um, yeah, I just think that, I just don't think Richmond are there. I think they're still about 10, 20% off the top four teams. All right. One of those top four teams, as far as I'm concerned, is Port Adelaide. That's our next game. That was the Thursday night game. Port Adelaide 12-11-83, defeated Melbourne 4-8-32. And all my notes here was that pretty much nothing to see here. Melbourne are bad. Port Adelaide are pick your adjective, decent, good, premiership favourites, depending on how much you like Port Adelaide. But I suppose... The media will just waste all this time on Melbourne this week saying that there's excuses for their performance, that they hadn't had one fewer day's break, um, you know, they're, they're tired, they had to travel, blah, 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 blah. Uh, is it just one answer, one sentence answer, is there anything that could excuse Melbourne's performance in this game if they are as good as Fox Footy said they were? Oh, they need to learn how to kick. This is even more composed with the footy. I think they just – Really uncomposed at footing. They probably lack a lot of confidence as well. And I found it strange that uh, with their team selection that they went for Tom McDonald back in the side. I thought Jackson and Wiedemann have been playing pretty well uh, as a duo in the four line probably in the last few weeks. They've, they've been closer in games. They've won a couple of games. That they've been a bit more, I don't know, dynamic and a bit more um, cohesive. As when McDonald went back in there, it just... And they before when Donald was playing before he got injured as well, the same sort of thing. They weren't really there wasn't any cohesion. It wasn't really I think they were too tall. And even knocked down back, they probably were a bit short down back. I just don't know why when the game was done and dusted in that third quarter that 
Uh, and he was throwing a mates around a little bit good, wouldn't it? He just to put Tom McDonald back, for, back, back, and let Wiedemann and, and Jackson play forward with the smalls around him. And he threw pick it on the ball, and he played a bit higher up the ground later on that game. But yeah, I just think that even throwing up a tracker forward, you know, they've got enough blokes in the midfield that can win it, and just there's lack that composure and, and skill, genuine skill, and they're not a very good team. And then. Like in the first quarter, they broke even with the, you know, the, the clearances and the inside fifties. They did all the things right. They just could not use it going inside. And once, once, once they got slingshotted back the other way, they could not keep up. And that's because of how poor they play with that. You know, handball receive and just move one kick, one handball, keep moving the chains, and it was too quick and too good. And you would have felt bad for the, the, a the Melbourne's defense and then Melbourne's forwards because you'd hate trying trying to be a forward getting the ball delivered to you like that. It's very rare in games where you see a team win the inside 50 count but be three goals down at quarter time. So Melbourne are a broken yep. team. They've been a broken team for a very long time and, frankly, we spend too much time talking about them, reading about them, clicking on their articles. So we'll move swiftly along. But before we do, does that prove that Port Adelaide are back in that top two tier or does the games against sides like Melbourne don't count? No, I've, I reckon they're still a top three side, Port. And... I really hope they turn up next week and put Richmond away and then they get talk, talking about seriously. I love what Kenny Inkley's doing. I love what the team's doing. I love what they've built this year, uh, how they've gone about it. And if you follow them on their social media, you see they've had a a big thing with the Resilience Project this year. And I think it's all the players are buying in. They look, they look tight-knit. They've got to, yeah, they play a good brand of footy and they're hard at it. And, you know, Robbie Gray in that last five, ten minutes of the game when they're up by, you know, ten goals – putting his body on the line like that and then Sam Power Pepper and that doing the same thing. It just shows what where they're at mentally and I think they're yeah, they're pretty well switched on at the moment, old port. Here we go, which is good for us because we uh, jumped on that bandwagon early and usually the wheels fall off when we do that and it hasn't. The port power, yeah. get the power on, charging towards finals. All right, tonight we had a double header on a Friday night. How good. And it started with something that was very, very odd. Hawthorne, 14-5-89, defeated Carlton, 9-4-58. That is not a remarkable scoreline when you read it that way. But Hawthorne were five goals down at quarter time. What yep. happened, Baz? What happened? I don't know. I don't. It was almost like Carlton just thought the game was over. It's they, like they, they, was like and they went home, though. Like, it, there was just no contest after quarter time. No, after quarter time, it was horrible. And... I was it the I'm pretty sure apart from North Melbourne, um the I don't think any teams won after being down at quarter time this year or something like that. So what happened there was, and no teams definitely come back except for St Kilda have blown two like it, but no no other games apart from those two is a team being up by, you know, thirty points and being rolled either this year. So it was just un unreal and yeah. <laughs> I'm still speechless. I watched it. I had money on Carlton into Brisbane, obviously. Uh, we spoke about it yesterday or the other day on uh, when it was Wednesday. I, I took Carlton to win into uh, Brisbane plus 40 and at quarter time at UBU, that's first leg down. Then midway through the second, I, I, I was trying to cash out because I wanted to get some money back because we'll get. Was, you could just tell they were going to get run over and they would never get back in the game. It was but just I a still, very odd game or all, all- all round, but I don't understand how I don't understand how for both teams. So Hawthorne f- somehow comes at a quarter time being the Hawthorne team, not of old but of recent, where they're still quite apt with by foot. They're very clinical going forward. 
blokes like Isaac Smith have got that pace back and they've got that long kick. But where's that been all season? And then conversely, Carlton's a team that if they seem to get periods of dominance and just let teams back into it, but there's no real reason why. There's no reason to be up at five other than, you know, arrogance, I suppose, or complacency to be up by five goals at quarter time and let a game slip. Well, they've done it. They've got a history doing it this year. And they've got a history doing it against they, Hawthorne. They did it last year to Hawthorne. Yeah, well, even last week against North, they couldn't put them away. So it just, I don't know but whether it is young and they, a bit of complacency, but even when they were struggling, they had the opportunities to get back in the game and, and we talk about momentum a lot, but Patrick Cripps, what was he like? He had some absolute meltdowns with the ball inside 50 for Carlton. And like, even when we talk about, like, even going back to local footy, if you're calling for a handball receive and you're facing your goals and the player has his back to your goals and you're calling for handball receive, which happens a lot in footy, it's what you instruct the players to do. You need to know what's in front of you. You need to know that if I'm calling for handball receive, I'm going to get it because the player can't see what I can see. So he's going to give it to me and it's on me then. So why would you call for a ball when you've got players about to tackle you and then you've got to try and run around four or five blokes? And if you're Patrick Cripps in that Carlton team and you call for the ball, guess what? Nine times out of ten you're getting it unless it's Cade Simpson or Doherty who can probably ignore you and go, get stuff, mate. We even need any bets and go, get stuff, mate. We know what we're doing. Everyone else is probably going to give it to him because he's in such he's held in such high regard. So I, I don't know whether it was him trying to get him back in the game and trying to you know lead the way, but I think in a way it was a bit detrimental. And I I know Paddy Cripps is a gun, and he'll probably learn a lot from that and it'll improve his leadership. But yeah, I suppose it's just just explain Carlton today as a whole. I just how, I, I'm still speechless how it just went so far the other way and. They were poor with, by foot. They were poor going inside 50 and they didn't take their opportunities. And, yeah, it was just – it was it was a real random game. And But Hawthorne, conversely, haven't looked like that all year. And then all of a sudden they kick 89 points and play some outlandish football. And it was – you know, it probably helped they had Bruce back in the side. who's another goal kicker and works hard both ways. And Burgoyne flicked the switch again. And like, yeah, it was unbelievable. And, Obviously, Jarwin Impey comes back in and helps with a bit of leg speed. But, yeah, it was a strange old game, that one. Strange old game. But I do have I – have, I don't have a reason, but I do have a coincidence to explain yep. this phenomenon. So since round two, every side that's played North Melbourne has lost the next week. That means Adelaide will continue the streak next week. Yeah. So by next week, it will be 0-9 the week after you – Play North. And the final game, yeah. speaking of bonkers, Brisbane 14 7 91 defeated Essendon 3 10 28. Frankly, nothing to see here. That's what we expected. If you were listening, you would have cashed in, as Baz told you to, on the 28 plus, on the line, on the 40 plus, made bank, paid for your Friday night Uber Eats. Shout outs for the free plug. Please give us a sponsorship deal. And uh, <laughs> just moved on with your life. But is that the real Essendon? Is that the Essendon that? is actually Essendon. Well, I, I expected a bit more of a dynamic game than that from Essendon. I thought they would have taken it on a bit more and, and uh, Brisbane would have scored more from, well, they did score a bit from turnover because they were pretty sloppy, especially going inside 50 and that for, um, well, just around the clearances even, they were pretty ordinary. They over handball. I think McGrath gets a lot of the footy, but he just handballs. He's a bit like Clayton Oliver. He doesn't look to kick it or move the ball forward. He just 
hand, always handballing and looking to give the feedback instead of moving the ball forward. And Dylan Shield have a great game, and I just got smashed. And they try to play a more controlled tempo of a game as well. And again, they weren't good enough to do it. And Brisbane were just too good. And I thought that in that second quarter when Brisbane didn't make count their dominance only kicked one point, I think, and the Essen kicked a goal or two. I thought, oh, this isn't a this has uh has me worried something it's what I worry about Brisbane. They 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 sometimes have dom- like absolute dominance over a game. They did it against Shalonga a couple of weeks ago and they've done it previously. They've just dominated a quarter or even two quarters, can't put it on the scoreboard and then the other team gets a runner on, on they, and they can't stop it. And then they lose a game or a game becomes a lot closer than what it should have been. Even last week against Melbourne, that like, they should have put Melbourne away as well. And it was good because it meant Melbourne uh, probably got got us better odds on with Port Adelaide last night. But uh, yeah, nothing to see. Essendon aren't that good. They're not a they're not a top eight side. They're a bottom six side, especially with these injuries. And Brisbane, who are a top three, top two team, probably the premiership favourites, other than West Coast, who have been smashed in the last week. Because what happened last week? They are. Uh, they did what they needed to do and did a very good job of it. And uh, yeah, for once they actually probably uh, kicked a bit straighter than what they should have. So, which is which is Pretty nice accurate. when you're chasing the overs, but you st- when you still miss out by a goal. But that's that's just punting, isn't it? It is. It's interesting well, that even like the little non-negotiables that you have here, like Essendon only laid two tackles in the first quarter when the game is very much still alive. So just little things like what? that just suggest that like they're not they're not up to it. I couldn't believe that they were the highest tackling team in the comp, but they're one of the lowest pressure. You watch them play and they might lay a lot of tackles, but it doesn't really... I wonder whether that the game, because they've played one or two games in like sort of sloppy conditions, whether that's just a variable in the in this... Because you look at their game style and you know, even... I suppose they've laid a few tackles tonight, but they didn't really have a lot of the ball either. So, yeah, it's interesting... Um, it's interesting that they, they got the high, one of the highest tackle counts in the AFL, and they only laid four tackles in the last quarter. So there's something not quite right there. We've got five games to preview in the second half of round nine, and we've got a couple of litmus tests to get ourselves started here. So the first game we'll look at will be Saturday, five ten, St Kilda a dollar thirty nine favourites, Baz here. Versus Sydney, who are three dollar outsiders at the Gabatoire. The line here, fifteen points. The over under one twenty nine. Now, no one is doubting that Sydney is putting in a hard effort games, especially given their you know, depleted injury lists. But the Saints now have a sniff of the good life, and just hear those Saints fans cheering as they near the top of the ladder. But do they actually have the skill set to win a game that they should? I hope so. You- I don't think Sydney have the the players on the park to get the job done against St Kilda. So I'm backing in. I'm backing the Saints to get the job done. And Sydney have played. So Sydney the last four weeks have been the the uh, the team that's used the corridor the most and attacked the most. So they're they're leading all those indicators in it with attacking football, free flowing football, play on all that sort of stuff. So I expect it to be a pretty exciting game because St Kilda play a bit similar. Um, and it's at the Gabba, which is, you know, pretty good ground for footy and it's, it's going to be a nice day. So I'm looking forward to the game. I reckon if it's played like that and I expect it to be because it's the way Sydney have been playing, um, I reckon St Kilda just have too much. They got, we already know that Sydney's undersized uh, down back. Um, 
we know that they have their ruck issues and it's something St Kilda ran really good, their back line, their four lines with memory and and King and th- th- those sorts of blokes are running around. Butler, like, they're just, Oakland are just too good for him. No Rampy as well, which is um, a massive out for Sydney. Like he organises everything down back for them. So, And Josh Battle comes in, which adds to that height and that you know flexibility around the ground and he can go forward and back. And he's a bit of a Justin Westhoff sort of player, but I reckon he's better. Um, hopefully he plays to his 40 as well. But yeah, I think the Saints win this pretty pretty comfortably in the end, I reckon. I, it, not not so much so that I'd probably take them at the line, which is I think is about 15, 16 points, but I reckon they still win and get the job done. They've just got too much around the ground. And yeah, rampy out's massive. And if you're relying on Papley to kick all your goals, I think you're in a bit of strife because I think they've got the matchups down there for them, St. Kilda. Yeah. Hard to disagree with any of that. Interesting fact here, I think, as you said, Sydney playing a bit more attacking football is going to actually help St Kilda, as you've said, because St Kilda are one of those over-the-top type teams. So they've kicked 22 goals from within 15 metres this season with the old chip and chase, six more than any other side in the league, and the Swans won't keep them out if they're going to persist with this very attacking, very direct up the guts, because if they do turn it over, it allows you to get scored against very easily on, on return. So good on the Sydney for playing some attacking, entertaining football, but when it comes to uh, them winning the game, it's probably going to result in a St Kilda win. Do you have any yeah, play action for this one, mate? Well, Sydney have been the number one team for Coral use from defensive 50. They're second with Palmer Siege, number one with longest kick longer Siege, and number three with kick four percentage. And if they kick long and, and you know, the ball long to their – Dan Ramby is, hasn't been left out, so he's probably still playing even though he's got a broken hand. So – so I thought because he had a broken hand, he wasn't going to be playing, but he is playing. Um, but yeah, with the with the long the long kicking sort of game, I don't really see McCartan or uh, Reed or Blakey really outmarking some so the good intercept markers like Hunter Clark and Jake Carlisle, which will just set up for St Kilda just to rebound the footy. And like I said before about the tools down at um, St Kilda down forward, I think they've got going to have too much. So my play action here would be. St Kilda to win the first quarter and St Kilda to win. I'm a bit iffy now about going overs and unders. My initial thought was this game goes unders, but the talk about the exciting football kind of concerns me slash the PTSD from not getting the overs tonight. But, yes, stay with the gut. St Kilda to win the first quarter, St Kilda to win overall, and the unders at 130 is paying $3.85, much greater value. And a lot of bookmakers have the cash back for your three-legged multis anyway. So two of those will get up. And St Kilda will win the first because they've scored 23 points on average in first quarters this season. They're ranked second in the AFL for that. And Sydney have been quite slow starters this year since the COVID restart. So uh, that's your play action there. And much more value there than the $1.30 or the uh, quite hefty Line handicap. So I did. I did have a. Uh, I had Dan Butler, Tim Membry, Tom Patley, Tom McCartan, anytime goal scorer, St Kilda line at fifteen and a half, and Hunter Clark to get fifteen or more disposals uh, is seven dollars fifty. That is an outrageous multi, Baz. I'd say the same game multi, and uh, with all the promos you got on at the moment, I'd be. You'd be silly not to have a couple of cracks at them, I reckon. Yep, fair enough too. All right, the big game of the weekend is Saturday at 8.10. West Coast are $1.35 favourites against Geelong, $3.25 outsiders. And you know how excited I get when Geelong get outside $3. They're playing at Optus Stadium. The line here is three goals. The over-under, a very paltry 118. 
Now, the Cats are unlikely to let the hook off as much as the Pies did last week against the Eagles, but is West Coast really back? Is this the West Coast side that's going to march their way to a promised grand funnel in their home stadium, or can the Cats upset the Eagles at home? Uh, nah, the Cats are off a short break where they played in a wet driving gr- game that was pretty taxing on the bodies. Even a few of the Geelong boys spoke about it after the game, how they put up pretty sore and pretty tired. And it was funny because if you look at the interchange uh, rotations for that game, they were down a fair bit, especially heading into that uh, last quarter because the play was on one side of the ground so often that the players were struggling to get off and get uh, the rotations going. So players were absolutely spent. Um, and West Coast probably just had a pretty much a training drill last week against Collingwood. They get the extra couple of days break as well. So I, uh, or extra day, um, and they had better conditions. They didn't play in the the rain. And the, the other thing that works for the Eagles is they got it on a bigger ground. The, the Cats... They don't like to play those sorts of uh, those grounds. They want to keep it small and keep the ground skinny. So I reckon West Coast will win this and win this quite comfortably. And I reckon, I'm back in. Uh, I think it was Kelly and uh, well, Kelly have lots of it, but one player that does have it a fair bit of it against um, what Geelong is Andrew Gaff uh, averages a fair few touches against uh, Geelong. He averages over the 33 touches I think over the last five games and. He's in pretty good nick, so had a few touches last week as well. So, yeah, Gaff and Kelly to run a mark, and uh, I reckon West Coast will win quite comfortably. Are you concerned at all about West Coast not being able to score as readily from turnover or intercept because Geelong don't offer that? So Geelong's safe football style uh, means they've only conceded 22 points per game from intercept possessions, whereas the Eagles are ranked second in the AFL from scoring from intercept possessions. So if you take away their strength, are they still that powerful or can they be trusted to play that dynamic football they played against the Pies last week? I just think they're going to smash Geelong at the clearances and I'll get first hand on the footy, so it won't really matter what Geelong do. Because you think about it, they got they got the, probably one of the best ruckmen in the comp and then Oscar Allen, you know, chiming in as well. Uh, they're pretty good. They're pretty well, uh, pretty well, you know, down forward there with Kennedy, Darling. Um, you got Oscar Allen as well rotating through there. I think Waterman's playing again this week. Um, so yeah, for me, I think it's, they're going to be too strong. So, uh, and obviously at the small blokes as well do the job. So, um, yeah, I, I just really think that West Coast will be too strong all around the park. McGovern's not back yet, uh, cause he was a late out last week and I don't think he's been named. So that's probably a bit of an out for West Coast, but they covered it last week with Barras and Hearn and Cole and Shepard and the like. So I just think they're going to be too strong through the middle. They're going to get first use of the footy and they're going to be, yeah, really have too much for Geelong and too much leg speed. And like I said, I think Geelong will be pretty sore and banged up after last Monday's game. Even though they won quite comfortably, it was still a physical game in those conditions. And with the one day less break, um, I wouldn't be surprised if one or two players don't actually play as well. Um, yeah, I just think because they've already got their injury problems, they've already started speaking about resting players Geelong. So I think just, yeah, back in West Coast, get the job done and win quite comfortably. And then the, they'll be keep getting backed in for premiership favouritism and we'll just get, keep getting better odds for better teams like Port Adelaide and Brisbane. Sounds like a good plan to me. Any play action on this one, mate, or are we going to leave this one alone? No, I've got a, like I said, I've got a little, I've got a little uh, same game multi for every game. So 
We've got Andrew Gaff, Tim Kelly, Mitch Duncan, 20 plus, all them 20 plus, with Oscar Allen, Gary Rowan, anytime goal scorer, and West Coast head to head. And West Coast at the line, and you get uh, $9.75. It's a seven legger. So just a bit of fun, mate. Just a little chuck a little 10, 20 on it while uh, you're watching the races as well. And you can just keep up to date on the uh, on the app and watch a bit of the game and watch the money roll in. Sounds like a plan. All right. Speaking of watching it on the app, these last three games are ones that you can definitely tip, bet, and forget. That starts with Sunday at 3.35. Gold Coast, so $2.60 outsiders against GUS, who are $1.50 favourites. They're playing at Metricon Stadium. The line here, two goals, the over-under, 130. Now, we love Stewie Jew. We love what the Suns are doing this year. We love the fact that you can trust them to turn up and have a crack. But there is no conceivable chance they beat the Giants this week, is there, Baz? I've tipped GWS, and I think they'll win. But I reckon the Suns will make a good game of it. GWS have been, you know, so we've seen GWS struggle to have lots of inside 50s. One thing that Gold Coast have done very, very well this year for pretty much all year is they've been really good set up defensively and they've got some really good defenders with Collins. Uh, was it Ballard, I think it is. Um, obviously, the coach is a very good user of the footy and they've obviously got Harbrow and, and, and um, Hanley who'd love to break the lines off, off the back there as well and good, good shutdowns on the smalls. So they've got lots of... Uh, They've got a really good defence and they've, you know, they've been in most of the games, if not all their games this year. So they probably should have won last week against the Doggies. They probably cost themselves, but not, that's probably the one thing they're not doing very well is when they do get the opportunities, they're not capitalising on They're not scoring enough, um, which, you know, one thing that GWS do do is when they do get inside 50, they do generally uh, capitalise on that and, you know, we've seen how Toby Green's been. He's probably the the difference in in most of their games. So, is someone from Gold Coast in the stand up? I think they've definitely got the the ruck and even the midfield. I think yeah, they've got a lot of hard workers. The Suns have probably got the inside mid. They got a, they've got good spread on the outside. I would not be surprised if the Suns got up here. This is this is probably the one of the games in the weekend I found hardest to tip. And I'm going to tip GWS. Uh, I've got a little same game multi, but I think, uh, yeah, for me, I'd I wouldn't be outlaying too much money. I'd just be sitting back and uh, watching. It's probably going to be the be- one of the better games of the weekend, to be honest. Yeah, and th- and fingers crossed it is. And it would be nice to see this, uh, you know, expansion rivalry play out to something more fruitful than it has in the past. The number one concern that's been all year about the Suns for me is they are the leading team in the AFL for clangers and also disposals per clanger. So they just turn the ball over too readily and they make some silly mistakes, which we lamented uh, in communication last week when they were playing the doggies. So if they do that to a side like the Giants, even if the Giants aren't at their absolute peak, it just allows a team like that to have, that has too many impact players like like a Toby Green, for instance, to have effect if you just gift him possessions in dangerous positions, which the Suns are prone to do. So I'm always hesitant to tip the Suns against the top six side because those sides will make you pay on the scoreboard. So... My tip here would be the Giants as well, but what's your uh, play action there, Baz? I reckon unders is is 100%. The the unders, the game points is 129.5. For life, we can't understand that because Gold Coast, like I said, have been really, really good defensively all year and GWS haven't exactly been blowing up the scoreboard. So why that's so high, I couldn't believe it. And unders, I'll probably be backing that uh, just straight out. It's about $1.90. 
But for the multi, uh, same game multi, uh, Toby, uh, Toby Green, anytime goal scorer with Alex Sexton, both in the small fours, they generally get on the scoreboard at some point. And Toby Green will need to kick goals anyway if uh, the, the Giants are to win. Uh, Tuke Miller is probably one of the most underrated midfielders in the competition. And he's, if you watch as much footy as, um, you know, some of the portraits do you think he get more recognition because he is absolutely killing it up there and is, like I said, just he's an absolute gun. So we need to start paying him some more credit. Josh Kelly to get 20 as well, and that's paying uh, 675. That's a little five-legger for you. There we go. I'm being a more uh, conservative three-legger here, but involving my uh, one of my probably most uh, love-hated players in the AFL, old Toby Green. So Toby Green has kicked uh, at least – two goals in his last uh, four appearances this season. He's kicked three goals in his last three appearances this season and he's had uh, 15 touches in his last, I think, like seven games or something silly. So you can give Toby Green to get kicked two goals and have 15 touches and the Giants win. He's paying $3.30. Or if you extend it out to three goals, 15 touches, and the Giants win is paying $6.50. So as you said, for the Giants to win, Toby Green has to play well. So that's far better odds than just taking Giants or Giants at the line. Our second game on the tip and forgets is Sunday at 6.10. Fremantle at $2.78. Outsiders against Collingwood, your boys, $1.43 favourites. They're still at Optus Stadium. The line here, two goals. The over-under are very paltry, 1.14. Now, Fremantle broke a four-match losing streak against Collingwood last year in round 11. Can they do the same thing this year? in round nine and a half. I really hope they don't. Um, oh, I'm a bit concerned. That, uh, the teams haven't been named yet for this, funnily enough. Um, I'm a little bit concerned, to be honest, because of how bad we were last week. Uh, obviously, still no penalty. Sidebottom would definitely come back in. I'm a bit scared about Connor last at the moment because we just really struggled to kick goals. Um, our ball movement last week was quite poor after quarter time. Our midfield got absolutely belted up. But surely we have enough. And it's the same thing with Freo as well. I said with Geelong. They've got the one less day turnaround. Uh, they played in really poor conditions on Monday that, you know, they struggled with, especially adapt to the game style it was needed to play. They had a few knocks. Uh, Walters came off with some soreness at the end. They lost a few other little players that names escape me through injury throughout the game. So I think they only end up with one or two on the bench by the end of it. So surely Collingwood has too much on Freo and we are able to get the job done on Sunday. You would really, really hope so. I'm tipping us and probably one to 39 points because we don't really blow teams out. We do struggle to score. We'll win the first quarter because that's what we do. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping we'll get up and my little same day multi six legs is, uh, Jaden Stephenson, anytime goal scorer. Darcy Cameron, anytime goal scorer. His first call last week was really good, and hopefully he can start building on that and be a bit more consistent and help out my check because, you know, he's probably got a bit of X factor about him and can help us out. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Grundy gets rested as well this game or whether he plays this game and misses the next one. But um, anyway, Darcy Cameron, anytime goal scorer. Uh, Taylor Adams get 20 plus. Steel Sidewater get 20 plus. Adam Trelaw get 25 or more because. Chalor and Adams were a bit quieter last week. They want to bounce back, especially in the, as they're in the leadership group. And uh, Collingwood to win one to thirty nine, get you eight dollars fifty. There you go. I'm just loving the audacity. It's such a good audacity in the second half of the round. That's what I love. That's a festival of football is about having some fun, and you're bringing that to the punters. I like it. I'm just going back to the well. 
bit more simple here. No lines involved. Just go straight head to head. So Collingwood will win the first quarter as they always do. They even did it last week before they got absolutely smashed by the Eagles. Collingwood will win head to head as they should against Fremantle. And this game is a definite unders game, not only on scoring, but also on their meters gain stats. So these are the two lowest teams for meters gained in the AFL at the moment. Um, and Collingwood is still the lowest team for uh, meters gained per disposal. So the ball won't travel very far in this game. There won't be too much scoring. It'll be an unders game at 6-10 on a Sunday, which you could probably just skip, to be quite frank. So, <laughs> And with that, we'll move on to our last game to, re- to review. And uh, this game is Spoonapalooza 3-Bears. The joyous, the joyous year that is 2020 has given us not one, not two, but three Spoonapaloozas. So Saturday, two thirty-five, North Melbourne are a dollar fifty favourites. I don't know why the, the the line here is so big. Adelaide, two dollar forty-five oh. outsiders, Metricon Stadium, four eight points the line, the over under one nineteen. How is this not a fifty-fifty game? I don't know, especially looking at the ins for Adelaide, like Jake Kelly, Riley Knight, Roy Atkins. They're three pretty good ins, um, and even Bryce Gibbs is a good in. So. I mean, I know they lose Crouch, but that's not like that's, I mean, and Dodie, I know he's probably big for their set marking game and he takes a key to but like has anyone watched North Melbourne play lately? Like they're not exactly kicking goals and dangerous up forward. Like they're not a team that's in a tee or part. Their midfield is average, their disposal's average, and Adelaide are just as bad. But I'm tipping Adelaide. <laughs> I in all seriousness, I watched I've watched a lot of footy this year, and I reckon Adelaide in the last two weeks have been pretty stiff not the winning games. They should have beaten Essendon last week. They're getting close. Uh, I know it's at Metricon. North have been average, but I suppose the, the good the good news story is uh, uh, Majak Dor back. But you know, taking out Jared Pollock and Ben Brown, I know Ben Brown's had uh, some horrible personal stuff going on, and I hope everything's all right, and he, you know he comes back from it, and it hasn't like. Imagine being, I was talking about it before about Melbourne. Imagine being a key forward, getting the stuff that's getting dished out to you while you're leading up at, at the ball carrier. It'd be disgusting. Like, you like Ben Brown's agent must be ringing every club in the AFL. Maybe not Adelaide, and maybe not Melbourne, but every other club. But like seriously, like they, they, he works his ass off, and they either overuse it before they kick it to him, or they kick it over him, or you know, he lands a meter in front of him, like. I don't know how they think that dropping him. I, I don't know whether it was for personal reasons or not, but, but and how Magic Doors going to change anything. But and then Pollock's the one that gives you that run and gun off half back and gives you a bit of spunk. And I know he did some stupid shit last week, and you know probably cost him the game or being quite clo- a lot closer in the game. But yeah, you know, I'm tipping. I'm tipping Adelaide here. I'm going to tip Adelaide, and I'll get their first win on the board. And I'm going to stick with them because so I've stu- I've gone with them the last two weeks. So I'm not jumping off now, so. Um, I reckon the unders in this is absolutely immoral because both teams average 10 points in the first quarter for the year. So expect a low-scoring first quarter, which means a low-scoring game. And Rory Laird, in his last five games against North Melbourne, averages upwards of 35 touches. So he's had a bit of a quiet year. He's playing a bit of a different role at the moment. But I reckon you know, when, you have, when you get hot against a certain team, you generally stay pretty hot. Sean Higgins let us down last week, but I'm ba- ba- getting on him to bounce back. Uh, he'll get 20 or more because he won't have to worry about uh, tackling Patrick Cripps at every stoppage. Jed Addison, uh, 15 or more. Taylor Walker will kick a goal, probably kick a bag. 
and the unders. So that's six dollars seventy five for a five legged multi. And my one of my bets of the week, one of my bets for the Saturday Sunday is just to take Adelaide head to head. So there you go. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. I'm going to go with my trusty Collingwood method here on the Adelaide. So we're going with a funny feeling here that Adelaide's due for their first win of the season. So you take Adelaide head-to-head. As you just mentioned there, both teams are very low scoring in their first quarters, only averaging 10 points scored. However, the Roos are ranked last in the AFL, having conceded 81 points in first quarters this season. So Adelaide will sneak the first quarter win and sneak their way to an overall win, and this game will go under because neither of these sides like to go inside 50. Neither of these sides like to possess the ball very well. This will be a battle. It might be amusing to watch, but it won't be entertaining footy. And if you string them all together, you get $7.40. So nice, audacious three-legger to uh, round out the reviews. Have you left anything else at the end of the podcast for the for the punters out there, Baz? Any uh, little tidbits or ridiculous 12-leggers you want to try and float here before we uh, close off for the night? Uh, no, no, no ridiculous 12-leggers. I just I was think Adelaide to head-to-head is a pretty good bet. And I think Tim Kelly, Trelaw, and um, Roy Laird, all over 25 touches. I don't know what you can get for that. But if you can get around three or four bucks, I reckon that's pretty good going. Given their history... I know Tim Kelly hasn't played against Geelong, but given his uh, last couple of weeks and with what we know he can do, and he probably want to, you know, have a good game against Geelong. Given what we know about Adam Trelaw every every round except for last week, and even last week he struggled. He still got twenty three, I think it was, um, and obviously Roy Laird's record against North Melbourne. See what you can get. Um, over, all of them over 25 and maybe have a bit of a go at that for a bit of a value roughy. But I've given you something for each game and have a bit of a play with. And, yeah, I think Adelaide hopefully break their duck this week and uh, probably pour a bit more pressure on or, or pour on North Melbourne. That brings us to the end of our second episode for Round 9R9B Review. Thank you very much, Baz, for staying up late with me and uh, talking, whispering between the tents down here at Splendour. Everyone enjoy the Festival of Footy and we'll be back with you on Monday to review round 10A.